An 84-year-old woman was patiently waiting in the side room of the sanctuary where she would step in to join the elderly man whom she would marry. It would be her fourth husband. Her first husband many, many years earlier had been a very successful bank president and investor. He lavished her with whatever she wanted, adorned her with jewels and beautiful clothes. She drove the finest car. But just in a few years, he died. And she grieved and in a while became lonely. She then met and married her second husband, who was a circus ringmaster. It was an exciting life in those days. They traveled to every major city in the United States and Canada. He had a splendid uniform and he would walk out under the big tent to announce the next act. The women riding the elephants and the clowns playing a silly game of baseball and the lion tamer and those who would walk the high wire and then those who would swallow fire and those who would swing on the trapeze. He announced all of them with eloquence and authority. It was an important job. It was an exciting job. And they went all over the country and into Canada. How exciting and happy her travels with this circus ringmaster. But in a few years, he died. She grieved. She became lonely. In the course of time, she met a widowed preacher. His wife had died several years earlier. She began to attend his church and listen to his Bible studies. And spiritually, she was enriched, drew close to the Lord, learned many things. They fell in love and were married. After a while, he died. She grieved and then became lonely. Eighty-four years old. Just before she went out to stand before the man whom she would, to whom she would be married, her granddaughter, who was helping in the service, asked her. She said, Grandma, how is it that you've had these four husbands? This fourth one is an undertaker <laughs> of a local funeral home. You're marrying an undertaker and... You first married a wealthy banker and then you married a circus ringmaster and then you married a preacher and now an undertaker. She said, little darling, it was one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready and four to go. 
Now listen to me. <laughs> Ladies, what you want is all of that in one man. And maybe he'll live for many years. And men, what you want is to live a life to do each of those things the best way you can for your wife. People who aren't of the 50s have no idea. Was it, what was his name? Carl Perkins and then Elvis? Well, it was one for the money, two for the show. <laughs> okay, we've had comedy relief and we've had rock and roll. It is time for the sermon. I've put this off long enough. No, really. God's precious holy word tells us how to live. It's a complete life in the Lord in Christ. Who are we in Christ? The Bible answers that page after page, chapter after chapter, who we are in Christ. Who are we as wives in Christ? Who are we as husbands in Christ? Well, let's look at this passage of Scripture, but first let's think of the backdrop here, what's already been said to these scattered and exiled Christians who are in a land that today is modern Turkey. Peter the Apostle, divinely inspired, is writing to them and giving them instructions. With regard to submission as Christians, sojourners, strangers in a strange land, they were to be submissive to civil authority. As employees, as workers, they were to be submissive to those who had authority over them in the workplace. And now what about the home? This particular passage has an added element. The first two had the element of putting the beauty of Christianity and the Christian life on display. The peaceful life, living in the Lord. Something that Peter indicated strongly would just by that behavior would be a testimony and people would be drawn to the beauty of such a life. And what made that life, what makes that life is our faith in Christ and our desire to obey him, be obedient to his word and his direction. So it continues here uh, as we've come to in chapter three to this part with uh, to uh, that regards husbands and wives. We're going to look at four different things here in this passage. Number one, further subjection. Likewise, wives. In other words, likewise, uh, the same thing, the same thing applies here. What we've been studying and what I've been telling you and what you've been receiving with regard to civil authorities and employers 
authorities in the workplace is applicable as well in the home. Likewise, wives, you are being in subjection to your own husbands. Now, this is a participle in the Greek text. It is not an imperative. It's a participle. Because it is such a complete understanding in the mind of those who live biblical lives and who have biblical worldviews, a biblical worldview, it isn't something that has to be hammered into the, to the mind and lifestyle of a Christian wife. That's why it's given in a participle. It's just understood. You are being in subjection to your own husbands. Now there are more than just, more passages than just this one in the New Testament about husbands and wives and children and, and parents. But the one we're looking at here, of course, just First Peter. And it is understood being in the participle, you are being in subjection to your own husbands. Now this is a divine design of the structure of society. This is the way God designed it. Now may I say, with regard to this particular part of the text or anything else in the Bible that has to do with instructions to Christians, to the degree that it makes you uncomfortable that is the degree to which you have been influenced by the world. I grew up, well, let's see, I was born in 51 and I was fairly cognizant when I was in the 60s. And it was the era when that which was called feminism was taking over. Feminism. It was a big deal on the knees. Women would burn their bras. For, for some of them, it didn't make any difference. But they were all kind of ugly. And I used to think as a kid, so what? You know, you draw a blister on a brick wall, you're so ugly. So go on, do what, go on, rebel. Yeah, well, I was not as deep theologically then as I am today. And I can see the error in all that went on in those days because the crux of it was to cause females to assume more and more masculinity in their lives. And thus then, in an increasing way, to disdain the masculinity of the male. Now let me tell you where that's led us. See, it's happened in my lifetime. I'm old, but I, I've seen it all since the 60s till today. It has led us to a warped society in which increasingly, I guess, I don't know, but at least it it's, seems to be popular to a society where 
Men are wanting to be women and women are wanting to be men. Role reversal, gender reversal. God's way is always the best way. Also, it has robbed us of the beautiful peace and sanctity of the traditional home. Father, mother, children. It has, because, I'll tell you this, I was raised to put the female, a woman, a girl, I was raised to put them on high, high pedestal above myself. You don't hit them. You don't fuss with them. You open the door for them. You always speak respectfully to them. You treat girls, you treat women with the highest of respect. That's how I was raised. I'm still scared of Pat. Um, I was raised in fear of girls, I guess, and Pat still scares me. It was a different world in those days. I, I can't, I, I don't know, I can't describe it, but it's a different world today. And I have a hard time really processing the things that are occurring. And you, you know, you, you revert to logic. You think this is not logical. This is not reasonable. And yet the world pushes to accept it. This reversal of roles in society. So here's what it's done. It has normalized what otherwise had always been regarded to as horrific and unspeakable sin. Fornication. To be sexually intimate with someone before marriage. Adultery. To forsake the sacred vows of marriage. And to become sexually intimate with someone either from another marriage or someone who has not been married, but the one who is married is committing adultery. I'll tell you this, you, won't, you will hardly watch a movie or a TV show in prime time on television that doesn't present fornication. And adultery. When I was a child, the word divorce was a bad word. I heard my mother whisper it once. I was about six or seven years old. She was talking to my aunt, my daddy's brother's wife. They were on the front porch. And, you know, a kid can act like he's playing, but he's tuned into everything they're saying. They were, they were talking about some woman. And my aunt, we called her Aunt Belle. Aunt Belle said, she's divorced. I had to ask mother what that meant. She said, what did you hear? How did you hear that? She's divorced. The word pregnant was a bad word. I never could say the word pregnant. She's pregnant. 
What's that? That was a bad word. It was just another day. Anything that had to do with marital behavior, just you just didn't talk about it. This was not something that was publicly talked about. Somewhere in the course of my early life, all of those walls just fell down. But we are Christians and we are different. God has separated us to be so. We're not worldly, hopefully. We are in Christ. So I'll go back to the question, who are you in Christ? Now there's an understanding here because I said it's in the participle. Likewise, wives, you are being in subjection to your own husbands. And he's, the Holy Spirit explains how this is a good thing. So that even if any are disobedient to the word, they, the husbands, will be won over without a word by the conduct of the wives, having witnessed your respectful and pure conduct. How much stronger is the love that a man has for his wife, especially when her conduct is pure and respectful? Paul tells us in Ephesians that this, of course, and I hasten to say, this is in response to the mandate upon the man to love his wife. It's interesting. In these passages, the one who is mandated to love is the husband. He's to love his wife. And she is to be in subjection, in subjection to that. And with this complete and absolute love, because Paul says it's the same love that Christ has for his church. What does Christ do for his church? Everything. Joint heirs with Christ. Wonderful dwelling place into the ages of the ages, glorified forever to be with him, to rule and to reign and to enjoy eternal life. We can't do that much for our wives, but we are to try our best to do all that we can do. And how a husband a loving husband will especially adore his respectful wife. This is, this is Christian conduct here. The bottom line is, wives, not only is the world watching you, but whether or not you realize it, your husband is being affected. He's being influenced. By your life, by your respectful and pure conduct. Now, this is the way that the Lord builds the family. May I, may I say also, the target of this whole thing that leads to the chaos of the modern day, the target is the family. 
If the family can be ruined, then the nation, the society is ruined. If the masculinity can be taken away from the male and the femininity can be taken away from the female and the order is turned upside down, then, then the respect is lost, the discipline is lost, and the carelessness that leads to separation uh, and divorce and then leads, leads to a life where children are not, are not given the opportunity that is a complete opportunity like they could have had with a loving father and a loving mother. What happens in the due course of time is chaos and confusion, lawlessness, disruption, and finally destruction. And such a society, and it's written in the Bible, we see it, we have the examples, especially of Israel and Judah, that society finally, that culture finally collapses into slavery. And then the slave master will force everybody into the way of life that the slave master intends for them to live in the way he intends for them to live. I was listening to a, a Generation Z, the person was called. Looked like a kid to me, I don't know. Generation Z. How old is a Generation Z? Nobody knows. It's younger than you. It's probably your kids. Is it your, your age? Okay. And this rather well-spoken Look like a high school boy was explaining why he never intended to go into any kind of military service. He said, what am I fighting for? He didn't have anything to fight for. Am I going to fight so that these people can do this kind of stuff or so that these people can do this kind of stuff? I don't have a family to fight for. My family's all gone to every direction you can think of. What am I going to fight for? Can you see where it leads to? When the family unit is destroyed, the culture collapses and finally becomes enslaved. There is always a despot ready to move in and assume the vacuum that is left when the discipline of traditional family values is gone. That's why the Bible in more than one place addresses the family structure, the traditional home. The importance of both husband and wife living in Christ. And so this is a, this is a, a, a major, uh, it's, it's, it's a major point that Peter wants to make here. First and foremost is your husband in Christ. Your behavior, your conduct will be the greatest influence and testimony that he will ever see or have in front of him. So there's further, it's the same way as he was explaining to Christians how we should submit ourselves to civil authorities. We should submit ourselves, ourselves to those who are in authority over us in the workplace. And now in the home, 
Because this is a testimony to the world. Who you are, how you live is a testimony to the world. It's different from the world. What makes those people different? They're in Christ. God has separated them. God has declared them to be holy and has separated them from the rest of the world. And God has given them his structure providentially, divinely from on high. And they seek to live within that structure. Here's how God sees a beautiful woman. Let it not be to the external adorning. Now I really, I should have, that's not a part of, I, I should have translated that word differently. I'm going to do that now. Because the word is cosmos. Generally and mostly Translated as world, cosmos. So it should read like this. Let it not be the external world that influences you. Caligula, the emperor of Rome, had a wife, Lolina Paulina. Lolina Paulina. Hmm. Sounds like a Beach Boys song or something. I don't know. Pliny the Elder, who writes historical record of the time, he was there, he lived there, said that she had one dress made of the world's finest silk, dyed with the world's richest dye, Covered with pearls and emeralds, and that one dress cost 10,000 denarii. Now, put, to put that in perspective, that's 34 years' wage. 34 years' wage of a common man's wage earning. So, her one dress, that just that one dress, cost more than a man's home on a 30 year mortgage would have cost. This is how he wanted to present her to the world. Let it not be the external world, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold or of putting on garments, but the hidden man of the heart in the imperishable part of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is before God of great worth. Great worth. Much value of great or much value. Okay, now. I, I, I do, I, do all, I, I want to be able to give special things to my wife and she enjoys it. I ain't doing it for my sake. I'm doing it for her sake. I'm not running home after work to see what she has on. I'm going to stop it there. You don't do that stuff for your husbands. You just do it for the world. Now, God sees beauty 
in the hidden person, the gentle and quiet spirit. God doesn't see those things that are perishable, the outward adorning, the world. Let it not be the external world. But the internal beauty, that's how God sees a beautiful woman. I'm like that old preacher. He's dead. And Jack Hiles, was that his name up north in Chicago or something? Independent Baptist preacher. He, he preached a sermon. He said he was on some tirade about women and men, husbands and wives. And I sort of feel like him. All women are lovely. Perhaps some are less lovely than others. <laughs> but all women are lovely. You see? What God sees is something that is far above the external. And that before God is what, a, is, what is of great value, great worth. This is where God places his value and the influence, the instruction here is, now this is instruction. Don't let it be this, but let it be this. Who you are from the inside and the world sees it. You know, Lolina Paulina may have walked out with all that flashy dress and all made up and everything, and she may have just all at once appeared to have been a stunning beauty, I don't know. But if she's mean as a snake and hates people and is filled with arrogance and selfishness, who wants, who wants that? This is why God looks upon inward beauty of the woman. And what, what, what Peter is saying is, the one you really want to be beautiful for is God. And he looks for the gentle and quiet spirit, for that hidden person in the heart, that part that is imperishable. What you wear on the outside, it'll, it'll decay, it'll rot, it'll, the moths will eat it up, it'll tarnish. But who you are that exudes from within, that is imperishable. That never dies. So, be on display for God. Then there's given the example of Sarah. For in this way, in the former time, holy women, there's that word, separated to be different, holy women. Holy women hoping in God used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands. This is how they adorned themselves, what was just previously read, we read it just previously. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I really have a hard time with Pat calling me Lord all the time. 
I keep telling her it's not necessary. And she says, yes, my Lord. <laughs> it's okay. She wants to be like Sarah. <laughs> now this is, listen, this is, I'm glad all the kids are gone. This, listen, this is from Genesis 18, 12. I, I have read that verse probably 15 times as I studied this. In Genesis 18, the Lord is talking to Abraham on the outside of the tent and Sarah is on the inside of the tent making some stuff, vittles or whatever. And as any woman would, obviously her ear is pressed to the flap of the tent. And the Lord says to Abraham and Sarah who are nearly 100 years old, he says, this time next year, you'll have a son. As soon as the Lord said that, Sarah laughed. To which the Lord replied, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah then in verse 12 said, Lord, uh, said I'm old. My Lord Abraham is old and you're going to give me this pleasure? <laughs> That's how she replied. It's right there in verse 12. So no wonder she named Isaac laughter. The promised child from God. This is to what it's referencing. She was obedient in faith. She said, well, we're old and doesn't seem possible, but I'm going to believe the Lord. Hebrews 11 says that she had faith and believed the Lord. And she conceived and had this child as a very, very old woman. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose children you have become, doing good and not fearing any nervous emotion. Any nervous excitement, not fearing any nervous emotion. Has anyone ever known a woman to have nervous emotion? No. No. Is the Holy Spirit talking here? Doing good and not fearing any nervous emotion. It makes me cry. Don't be afraid of it. Not fearing any nervous emotion. Well, Guys, we didn't get left out here. The responsibility of husbands. Likewise. Okay, there's that word again. It's up there. Uh, and it, it, it's a uh, homoios. Homoios. Likewise. As that, as, as everything that's just gone, you have responsibilities before the world as men who are in Christ. Likewise, husbands, dwelling with them. Sunakoi. Um, sun means with 
Oikos means house. It means that you're with each other. It speaks of the dwelling and the residing, a residence of husband and wife. You're living with your wife as your wife. She lives with you as, your, as her husband. You're dwelling with, likewise husbands, dwelling with them, the wives, according to knowledge or understanding. According, see, here's the deal. You have to get to know your wife. And sometimes you have to say, I ain't going to say that. Or sometimes you have to say, I don't need to, I don't need to go do what I wanted to do today. Or, you know, you just have to understand after a while, you learn to identify the raw nerves. You know, you don't want to spit in the wind and you don't want to tug on Superman's cape. And you don't want to go after a, a, a raw nerve that's exposed in your wife's psyche. So what he's saying is here, guys get smart. Study your wife. Understand your wife. Now you're going to have to keep a pretty big diary. Sometimes... Let me tell you what happens. Sometimes you'll make an entry and then about three years later, you're going you're to fall back on the entry, that entry and she responds exactly opposite of what you thought she would do. Well, I'm going to have to write that down. It takes time to understand and to know your wife. In doing that, what are you doing? You are ascribing Worth to her, honor to her. In this world, aside from your relationship with Christ, she is the most important thing to you. And so, to dwell with them according to knowledge and understanding, you are rendering honor. You're ascribing great worth, status. To the woman as with a weaker vessel. Let me think about this. If I have a, this is the only thing I can think of. I have a, I don't know if I'll use it or not. Let me go back to my diary, see if this is a good. Uh... Well, I have a Smith & Wesson Model 29, 44 Magnum, six and a half inch barrel, exactly the kind that Dirty Harry used. It is a safe queen. It never leaves the safe. I had a special pair of grips made for it way back. This is back before we got married, I guess. And they fit. I had to go and be measured for these grips. These cherry wood. Oh, it's beautiful. 
tell you. I talked to a guy the other day. I had another special made Model 29, a snub nose, and I've had it for, we were married when I got that one. I was an FFL dealer and I paid like 300 bucks for it from the distributor. He said, man, I saw one of these online on an auction for, he said, $2,700. I told him what kind of other Smith & Wesson I had. He said, oh, man. Oh, man. Now, let me tell you something. If something happened and I dropped that Model 29 onto a concrete floor, it would tear me up. But I got to tell you something. All the Model 29s in the world can't approach the value of my wife. I don't want to see her made to feel less than what she really is. She's the highest and most important. I mean, I have prayed, God in heaven, we're getting on up in years. You're going to have to let me die first because my grandkids and my kids, they depend on her. They don't depend on me. I just need to go on before she does, you know, because I know I recognize her worth. That's what we're to do. Her status as the weaker vessel but she's a joint heir of the grace of life. I'm not any more important than she is before the Lord. In God's arrangement, I have a position in the traditional home. And I have a responsibility to be obedient to the job description. It's like being a pastor in a church. Let me tell you this. A pastor is called to do what he does. He is not more important than anybody else. God assigns you certain things to do in the church that I could never do. And you are every bit as important as anyone else, including the pastor. This is the way God does things. And we are responsible to whatever position we're called or standing to which we're called. We're responsible to get it right. And to do our best. And to pray that God uses it as he sees fit until we're all used up. This is who we are in Christ as husbands. Recognizing her value. That she is a joint heir with us before Christ. That we stand together before Christ. And that we share the same grace of life. That God has provided. We're different in the roles to which we are called and assigned. Yet before the Lord still. The same as joint heirs of the grace of life. Peter ends this part by saying guys get it right. So that your prayers are not hindered. Think about that. So that your prayers are not hindered. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners.
Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Call on him by confessing, by confessing sin. Call on him to save you and he'll save you. Just a moment we'll be dismissed from this room. Just across the hall we have deacons and wives waiting to talk to anybody who would come to Christ today. Furthermore, maybe you're here, you've already been saved, but you want to follow the Lord in baptism. Ready to talk to you about that. Or to become a member of this church. Ready to talk to you about that. As you exit, they'll be there. You'll see them in the doorways. But for now, let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer.